This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Rose and Jamie are two best friends And they love sex and the city And they couldn't help but wonder Do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, cheese, So many dudes. Every little dude All the dudes And we couldn't help but wonder With Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't Couldn't Help But Wonder. Wonder, A podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to To us. us. (laughs) To us. Hello, Jamie Amanda. In fact. Hello, Rose. What's your middle name? Jennifer. Rose Jennifer. Actually, our middle names would be friends. I think Amanda and Jennifer would oh, be friends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're really tight. They have they have those they have those uh beef fry necklaces, the hearts that you like. Share. And if they were friends in the eighties, one of them would have a side ponytail going to the left, and the other one would have it going to the right. Yeah. And then when we see each other, we like slap ponytails, <laughs> kind of like a like a a fun female <laughs> twist on Avatar. <laughs> Jamie Lee. Wow, Jamie. I'm really. Coming in hot. Um, who, who were you this week? And tell us about your week, if you don't mind. Um, who was I this week? I guess I was. Oh, man. Let me think. Who was I this week? Well, the weather got really nice in New York. Suddenly, like we had a blizzard and now it's like 50 degrees outside. So I guess. I kind of feel like Charlotte when she like goes jogging in Central Park. I have not done that. Um, I haven't even gone above 14th Street the entire time I've been here. I'm just like always in my neighborhood downtown. Um, but yeah, I feel a little Charlotte. Definitely a lot of like just walking around and like appreciating that it's nice out. And uh, yeah, I know that's kind of like a non-answer, but it's, it's not really a true. Answer. I feel like New York, when the weather is good, it is it it like does impact your mood and it does kind of impact your life. So yeah, it's been really nice. Amazing. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any. Yeah, that's it. What else is going on? Oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Who are you this week? I would say I'm a bit of a Miranda pre getting back together with Steve. Okay. Um, I like this. Well, just like when she like eats cake out of the trash and stuff. I haven't been doing any of that. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been eating cake out of the trash, but I feel like I'm definitely 
doing as good as can be expected in a pandemic, but I am sure. feeling really, really sick of the pandemic. And yeah. I, you know, I feel lonely. I spend 23 out of 24 hours in my apartment. I'm really tired of it. I definitely yeah. like talk to friends on the phone and do virtual things and go on a walk once in a while, but it's just not the same. And you know, there's nothing wrong. I'm doing well with my writing. I'm doing well with my back. It's just, I just feel exhausted by this pandemic. I'm, I'm really trying to be creative and like create fun weekends and see people. And I mean, I have fun things to do this weekend, but yeah, I just, I don't like living this way. And that's it's so interesting because yeah. Cause when you're talking about like your writing is going really well, I feel like that is one that is one benefit of like Los Angeles pandemic living is that like you do kind of if you are a writer, I think it's pretty easy to like not easy, but like you can get into a routine where you're like working on things and like paying attention to scripts and, you know, work like just focusing, I think, because I think here, it depends I, on the person. I think if you have like, I think there's a lot of writers who are just doing are not. jack shit. Like interesting. I don't know if it's the city so much. I don't know. Well, Maybe. I'm just talking about my own experience. When I was there, I felt very locked into my laptop. I would go into my office. Like, I just felt like it was kind of what else was there to do? It's like you have to just sort of make the best of your apartment and your surroundings. And that's also your work environment. So, like, I don't know. I just felt very focused because I felt like there was kind of nothing else to do but focus. And now that I'm here, I'm like, I literally have not. I've, I mean, I talked about this last episode, but I've never felt less productive, like, even though I am doing things and have like meetings, Jamie's stuff, version of I less productive, I'm sure, is still like massively. I've only productive. finished two novels, four scripts. It's a nightmare. No, I'm like running errands in the middle of the day. I have like vacation brain right now. I'm like that's schools fine. out for summer. I think that's fine. The way I feel is, you know, when I'm saying, "Oh, I'm getting stuff done at work," what I mean is, I'm not like laying on the floor all day. Yes, it's just that. Even though I'm moving forward, there are many times during the day where I'm just like, no, not more of this. I just I know, you know, maybe maybe there's less of a feeling like that in New York because New York is such a more vibrant city. And yeah, you you can convince yourself that you're not isolated, even though technically you are because it's like you're not friends with people you pass on the street. Yeah, but even just like sitting in a cafe and hearing chatter like that stuff is valuable and like. Uh, yesterday I went to the park. I went to the Silver Lake Reservoir. I walked for an hour by myself and then I sat in the park and did some like journaling and even Mm -hmm. just being in the park around other people and like hearing other people, it was kind of the same thing of like going to coffee shop and like working it. I really like, yeah, it was just nice to, you like that. Yeah. You told me to work at coffee shops. So yeah, it sounds like that's what you need to feel more stimulated. Yeah, I may even do that here in L.A. I can't tell if that's like a bad idea. Like Guest House is this coffee shop in L.A. Yeah. And they've set up a little outdoor area. And it's just so hard to know. It's like I don't really read the news too much about COVID. But like you see these insane headlines like the devil's here, like the new strain of COVID. And you're just like, come on, dude. And last night was the first night I had a COVID nightmare. Um, I had a dream. I've never dreamt of COVID before. And last night I dreamt I was on a family trip and these two like middle-aged Karens, these like blonde women 
were like, oh, by the way, like we have COVID, but we had all been hanging out for days without oh, masks Jesus. and sitting in. And oh, we're wow. like, why didn't you tell us? And my dad was like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, well, you're vaccinated. And I was like, great. I just got COVID. It was like such a stress stream. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like every single article is about COVID. Like every like on the daily, it's like they had that like two part thing about the woman who died in the nursing home. It sounded too horrible. It was pretty rough. Um, But then also, like I was talking about it last episode. I'm obsessed with that autumn app that just like reads you articles. Yeah. And so they're all about COVID. Like everything is COVID. So even if you're trying to (sighs) make the best of the pandemic, it's really hard to avoid just sort of like hearing it or, you know, learning the latest, which I mean is important, I guess, but it's still, it's just like always kind of swishing around in your brain. It's really hard to get away from. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I, it's so easy to be judgmental about people who are like, oh, they went and had dinner. They took a weekend trip, but now I'm just like, I, I totally understand. It's like, I'm starting to be like, can I go outdoors at a restaurant? I mean, a lot of my friends would never go with me, but I'm just wow. kind of hitting See, the, the culture wall. here is like, go. Yeah. It's, it's different like- in LA. People are, I do see some people, but my close friends don't do that. So it makes me feel like I'm being like super. There's a shame think- culture in LA. I think, I think well, there's LA a lot of shame. also had it really bad recently. Like true, true. the winter in LA was awful. So I think New York had it bad and then it got like dramatically better. It's just now getting better in LA. Right. So people but- are still proceeding with caution a little bit. Yeah, I think that you're right that there is, I think the go out culture is so ingrained in New York that like, it's just a part of life. And in LA, even though I was out so much before this, there is a little more of like, okay, well, I guess if I have to be at home, I'll be at home. And people like accept that. Whereas in New York, it's like, that's not acceptable kind of. Right. They're like, oh, our apartments are just for sleeping. Yeah. Barely. You can barely. Barely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. I'm like, my right thigh fits in my apartment. (laughs) It's like I have to sleep like curled in because if I stretch out, my toe will be out the door. Literally, my foot is out the window. I like my yeah. head is out the window and my pinky toe is out the. Front it's like door. when Alice in Wonderland when she like grows really fast and like bursts out of wherever she was. <laughs> That's yeah. I have to do a quick brag that now I have to do this like 30 minutes of abs every day to protect my back. My PT gives me these things and you just made me laugh, Jamie, and I could feel my sick ass abs tightening. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I know. It's cool. I, I feel core really workout. strong. Yeah, I'm getting yeah, like a it, sick it, core. It, it helps. It really does. I, I used to, I just like never cared about core. I don't know. I was always like, I just want my, I just like want to work on my legs and, yeah. uh, the more I've worked on core, I'm like, oh, it really does help with your posture. And like, it just has such a everything sort of like broad impact across your whole body. It's it's pretty awesome. Well, I didn't like doing core for my whole life, including now, because I don't enjoy doing it. Like, I'd rather run 10 miles than do one sit up. I just don't like the act of it. But the aftermath and feeling like I'm stabilizing my body is worthwhile. But I don't enjoy doing my core. Let's not get crazy here. No, let's not. Yeah, let's. Yeah. But I I do. Yeah. I think that any kind of any kind of like muscle workout, I think, goes 10 times further than any cardio. Like cardio is so important for like mental health and like heart healthy and also just like yeah, you just feel accomplished and like going for a run outside is so lovely or a walk. 
But yeah, I think like effectiveness wise, I do feel like weights and strength go a lot further. Weightlifting and getting strong, I didn't know until my 30s, is like massive in terms it of is. just health, overall health. Like, yeah, same. Just, I, I mean, I was the least athletic child and now I'm like, oh shit, I gotta like. That's so that. awesome. Are you keeping it up out in New York? I am. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've been going, I go to like a personal training gym cause there's awesome. not a lot of people there. And, Good. uh, yeah, it feels like the most COVID friendly way to work out cause there's only like me and the trainer and a bunch of windows open. So yeah. Perfect. Well, we're getting into a very good episode right now. You want to? We really are. Today we are covering season six, episode 16, Out of the Frying Pan. Rose, take us into it. I cried multiple times in this episode. Yeah, it's incredible. This is a really good one. So we begin with Carrie and Alexander eating their way through New York. They're hitting up Greek places, Korean places. They are going all out. But the next time they meet up, Alexander has a surprise. He wants to cook for Carrie. Unfortunately, she never cooks. He has to make do in her understocked kitchen. After they finish, Carrie spots a mouse, which Alexander smashes to death with a frying pan, which is actually extremely kind of traumatic if you think about it. Like, it's not like a tiny bug. It's like a small animal. She tells everyone about it later. At least it didn't happen in a room I actually use, like my closet. Good humor me. The next morning, we were determined to use our good humors to make Samantha's chemo lounge as close as possible to a cocktail lounge. Look at Miranda working Mr. Grape there. Steve was one lucky guy. Samantha. (laughs) Well, you guys are having a good time. Mm -hmm, You bet. Cancer is hilarious. Are all you as fun as Samantha? We try. I'm her favorite patient. Any mouse or sweetie? Nope. Great. Just keep up the popsicles. Samantha, I have to say, you are amazing. I am. And if you love me in chemo, wait till you see me at Smith's movie premiere. I'm getting a hot dress, fantastic shoes. I'm going to kick cancer and that red carpet's ass. Here, here. Mm. Here, here. Woo! Mm. Okay. I don't really know what to say about that scene. Me neither. <laughs> um. <laughs> Skylar, start us off. What do you think? Well, here, what about, yeah, Sky, you want to jump in? <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts, Sky? I, I mean, they, they do blow past the mouse murder really quickly, which seems like it's not, there's not enough respect given to the dead mouse, which is just, it's tough. Also, on the subject of um, Samantha being the favorite patient, I, I, I sort of like that as a dynamic. I wish we kind of got to see that a little bit. Like, it's fun to see the, the like, brunch discussion in, the cancer ward, but also it would be a little fun to see Samantha be the most fun patient. And, um, but otherwise, I mean, this is a fun scene. Everyone's blowing popsicles. What yeah. Be greater? I mean, if they are going to have popsicles in the scene, there's no way they're not going to make some kind of blowjob joke. Yeah. It's just, you gotta, it's right there. It's very, you know, it's just a nice scene. It's like, you know, this is probably resonating with a lot of people in COVID too. It's like a lot of people are, dealing with sick people and people that they love who are sick. And I really think, I mean, especially when I was going through my back stuff, it's like having friends visit you, having people call that stuff just makes a huge difference. And I think there are literally like studies about being in a positive mood, making a huge difference in recovery and like even being able to overcome massive health challenges, you know? Totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to like watch Samantha have a support system 
I do feel like, you know, I'm curious, like, yeah, with the with the way they handle cancer on this show, I think they they do a good job with it. But I will say, like, it got kind of like rosy really quick. Oh, totally. Um, I, I don't know, like tonally how they could really wallow in it for too long without people being like, oh, this is a different show than I used to watch. Like it went from being lighthearted to not. But um, I do think in watching it now, I think we have a higher tolerance for darkness and TV and totally. than, than they did back then. And I think you really see that in the way that they dealt with cancer. Because I just think now, it, you know, obviously they are rebooting the show. But if this episode were to air now or to be written now, um, I feel like maybe they would have gone a little deeper. I agree. And it's like, again, my only reference of this type of thing is my own back issues. And like, I remember when my super close friends, Paisley and Caitlin, came to visit me. They came to visit me before they moved to Vancouver. It was like the last time I was going to see them in person for like a year. And I was just like fucking crying. I was just like a mess and we couldn't hug. And it was still that time yeah. where like now I will hug my friends with masks if they're up for it. But like it was painful, you know, and and there were definitely times where friends came to visit me where I like looked like shit and I felt like shit and it was shameful. And like, it, it was more complicated than like, Hey girls, are you feeling fabulous? Like the reality right. is like, usually when you're in that situation, you're feeling awful. Like friends are there, but you're not, I was never in this like fun, fabulous mood. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even, yeah. I mean, it would be kind of nice if Samantha maybe in this scene Oh, you're right. Like, I'm her favorite patient. Like, yeah. just, you know, and then Charlotte being like, Samantha. She's even killing it on the cancer ward. Yeah, yeah you're just kind of like, it's a, like they can uplift her spirits. Like she doesn't, you know, she is getting fucking chemo. Like that's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Makes you feel like shit. I mean, they. It, I will say like as the season goes, they do handle it. They do a good job. I mean, I do think they do a good job. I'm, I was really more making the point that I just think that it would be stepped out maybe a little more and we would maybe spend more time on her um, if this were written now. We're 2021. Yeah. 2020. Oh my God. I have something random to say, not random, Ooh. but uh, not pegged to this episode, but you know, we posted it on our Instagram, but there's like, I guess Steve is not coming back to uh, sex and city. And I have, I have a theory. I have a oh, hot take and I think I'm going to be right. Oh my God. I, I love this. This is an exclusive I, guys. This is an exclusive. And I think I'm, I'm going to be really right here. I bet you guys that they are going to mirror Cynthia Nixon's Cynthia Nixon's real life thing. And I think she's going to be a late in life lesbian on the show. I think she's going to leave Steve for a woman. That'd be that cool. is probably going to happen. Samantha Irby writes on the show. She's yeah. bisexual. She's got a wife like Cynthia yep. Nixon's like out and proud. I swear to God, if Steve's not I in it, I think they're right. going to have her be with a woman. How right is that? I agree. Yeah. It also I think that's right. Like, I mean, I think that you're don't right. you I think, think? That will. if they don't do that, it they've got queer people in the room now. But like, also, wouldn't you have Steve in some capacity because of Brady? Like he's not in it. He's not coming back. No, I know. I'm just saying that's what I'm right. saying. Like. I wonder, I guess what I'm saying is like, what, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, were they like, right. we want to do this. We don't need Steve. Or, I mean, I doubt that. They would have had him I think Steve just didn't want to come back, which is weird. I think he just didn't want to come back. Weird, right? Uh, I was just going to say, I also think it's, we have evolved so much. So just like culturally on like wanting 
straight people to play straight and gay people to play gay, if they, especially yeah. when the character calls for it. And so Cynthia Nixon being an out proud gay woman works exactly to your point too, where it's like, not only is it like actually representation, <laughs> it's, it's Cynthia Nixon recasting and reframing the character in a way that would be very cool and like definitely seems like something worth exploring. I think they're going to do it because if you look at the writer's room, they're kind of like writing the wrongs of their past. Like it's super colorful. It's queer. Of course. And they're, I think they're going to actively try and take this show and make it modern. So let's see what happens when it airs, but I wouldn't be shocked if she's got a wife in the next one. Well, if he also said, I don't want to come back for whatever personal reasons or scheduling or whatever it is. In real um, life, the actor's playing too much basketball and watching Scooby-Doo. Yeah, he's he's doing uh, free throws. <laughs> I'm in a cool rec league and I'm watching Scooby-Doo. <laughs> he he actually so bad. He actually, HBO Max reached out to him, but he was, he missed the email because he was watching <laughs> Scooby-Doo. He, he was shooting hoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I need to get to the bottom of why he would not come back. Like, I think it's. Even if just for one episode. I think it's still developing because I also, it was like originally reported by page six and then like Chris Noth had like a note on Instagram that was like, don't believe everything you read or whatever. Ooh, so I think correct. it's still Maybe developing. Maybe they're in negotiations. Yeah. They're negotiating. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it's more much sense like, that they're trying to figure out their contracts. That feels right. Yeah, I, I, that's what I suspect's happening. But also, who knows? Well, maybe I mean, for he has episode, so much leverage. I mean, like yeah. he could literally ask for all the money. He's Mister Huge now. All yeah. anyone who's a, a regular on the show could ask for all the money because it's going to be so huge. Like, why wouldn't they just do I it? I can't wait to watch it. I just think it's going to be. Good. I know. Just. Those those actresses are so fucking good. Like it's going to be so good. I can't wait till we review it. And I can't. I love. I'm like. I'm so ready for them to like be in their fifties. And like, I just. It's just a decade that I cannot wait to see how they. And it really is not on TV. We don't see women. No, it's not. No, it's like it. It feels like you know what it is. It feels like almost a little First Wives Club, which is really exciting to me. Amazing. Like, because I, I love that movie. And that's kind of what this feels like. Like that kind of we can get some of that humor in there. Well, it'll be really exciting. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. OK, so after the chemo hang, Carrie meets up with Alexander again. He wants her to have an espresso machine at her place. So they pick one out together. He also mentions that he had a friend who died from breast cancer. So it's not the most fun date. Over at Harry and Charlotte's, she's cooking up some eggs when she gets a call. It's her fertility doctor. Get it? She's cooking eggs and he's in a call about her eggs. Oh, Symbolism. Wow. It's like doing a trapeze act and not trusting that you're going to get caught and fall safely. <laughs> oh, God, don't remind me. <laughs> don't remind me. So the doctor has some bad news. None of her most recent round of eggs are viable. Would you say they're fried? Oh! <laughs> But that's how her doctor said it too. It was actually like really tasteless. We did, yeah. you actually, they did show the scene, but then they just cut around it and only showed it's her a side little, of the conversation. It's a little scrambled up inside of you. Yeah, he he diagnosed her with scrambled eggs. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I laughing? What's wrong with me? Harry tries to console her, but she's not really into it. She decides to blow some steam with a run. Unfortunately, she quickly bumps into a mother. With a stroller, which stings. I feel like that always happens when I'm trying to like get over something. I just like 
see two people like who have never been more in love like yes licking always their faces. They, yeah they just like somehow find their way into your line of vision even when your <laughs> eyes are closed you're like how are you doing that um okay so steve and miranda meanwhile look for a new apartment now that steve is fully moved in brady steve's dog and miranda's cat are all making miranda's place a little too crowded but they can't find anything in manhattan so steve pitches a place in Brooklyn. Miranda is not into that. She does not do Brooklyn, but they have to do something because the apartment's so cramped. So she agrees to see the place in Brooklyn. Later at Alexander's, he and Carrie have espresso. Carrie doesn't love it. She also doesn't love that Alexander brought up his dead friend when Carrie mentions Samantha's cancer. He doesn't really get why, and he keeps mentioning her. So Carrie goes off. She doesn't want to hear about death and she doesn't want to hang around with him if he can't talk about anything else. She goes home and struggles to get some sleep. Charlotte takes another run in the park, which gets interrupted by a loose dog. She catches it and takes it back to its owner, who explains the dog was bred for shows, but ended up having a weak leg. Miranda, meanwhile, flags down a cab to check out the Brooklyn place, but the driver doesn't go to Brooklyn. So neither does Miranda. Over at Samantha's, she and Smith hook up. While she's going down on him, he runs a hand through her hair only to accidentally pull out a handful of it. It is such an emotional moment. I mean, tears. Mm -hmm. Samantha tries to play it off, but it kills the mood. So she heads to take a bath. It's really sad because he loses his erection, which like really upsets and offends her. It's such a, such a tender scene. Um, just so relatable, not like I've had cancer or anything, but just those emotions are so real. Carrie explains to Miranda later. Samantha's not gonna die, right? Of course not, she'll be fine. Her hair started falling out at a really bad time. Oh God, was she at work? No, but she was definitely doing a job. No. Oh yes, ma'am. She's a trooper, she'll be fine. Yeah, I know. But according to my Russian friend, we're all in denial. Why? What does he say? Well, it went like this. Him, your friend might die, yes? Me. Uh, no, you're an asshole. We had our first fight. Yeah, I picked up on that. I mean, this is a man who is so sensitive about so much, but then this death, deal with it. I know he's Russian, but Jesus, come on. Maybe it's a language barrier. Well, it's definitely a barrier for me. Is this who I'm seeing, a man who kills mice and optimism? Well, it's not denial. They got it early. She's going to be fine. You are aware that you've said she'll be fine three times in half a block. Yeah, I just picked up on that, too. And anyway, how is it helping her if we freak out about it? It is our job to think positive. Exactly. Can you believe we're actually having this conversation? No. And here's another thing I never thought I'd be saying. Steve wants us to move to Brooklyn. Okay, stop. Now, that is information I can't handle. I know. I can't move to Brooklyn. Even cabs won't go there. I think that the scene where Alexander and her fight about the death thing is such a relatable scene when you're dating somebody who just has a different way of communicating than you because it's like, forget the actual argument. It's just... It's just basic, like emotional intelligence, love language stuff where it's like her best friend is hurt. Therefore, Carrie is hurt and she needs comfort. And having your boyfriend be like, oh, well, you know, my friend died. It's like 
it's like, it doesn't matter if you're a nihilist or if you're Russian or if you're like kind of cool and disaffected, what your partner needs right now is comfort period. And I just found that very relatable because whether you're a man or a woman or non-binary, like there's always a moment where you need something for your partner and they're just thick headed and they're not getting it. Yeah. And it's also, you know, you really see him trying to relate, but it's almost like you want to be like, it's not that we don't care about your friend who died. It's like just kind of not about that right now. Like that's not really what Carrie's asking for. She's not asking for you to talk about your experience with what she's going through. And obviously you can't say that when you bring up like a friend who died, you're not going to be like, don't talk about your friend who died. Um, Oh, she did end up saying that, but you know what I mean? Like not, not for those reasons. Um, So it puts her in a place where she has to be sensitive to what he's saying as well. And that's really frustrating because she just really wanted a shoulder to lean on. She didn't want to have to like kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like it almost, when he brings up a death, it puts you in the position to then take care of the other person. And she's the one who wants to be taken care of in this moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't feel that he needed that. I felt like he was just relating to her. Like, I just felt like it was such an emotional blind spot thing to go. Oh, that I had a friend like that. They died. It's like, why would you tell that story to me? Like, it just seems like. Yeah, I don't mean that he he was asking for her to take care of him. I'm saying that when you bring up your friend who died, then it becomes a conversation where we both have friends who have dealt with cancer. And in this case. Carrie really just needs the focus on her. She just needs someone to listen and be there for her. She doesn't need to like hear how you relate to this necessarily. That's really not what she's asking for. Well, when we get to it later, the reason I think it's so interesting is this is a scene about needing from your something from your partner and your partner trying to give it to you, but giving it to you wrong. And so we find out later that in his mind, he's actually thinks he's helping. Yes. In, And in just, you know, helping her cope with the reality of life. But in her mind, what she wants is comfort. My sister and I got in a fight recently where um, I was upset about something and she was giving me unsolicited advice Mm. about how to deal with it. It's hard. And I didn't want advice. I, when I'm feeling hurt, rejected or anything like that, I take advice as criticism. It sounds like, well, you should do this. And it's like, I already feel bad. I don't need someone to tell me what I could be doing better. I just need you to say that sounds really hard. And we kind of got in a fight about it, but it's like in any relationship, it can be hard to learn someone's comfort language. And like, to me, it seems relatively very obvious that if I called you, Jamie, and said my, a really good friend of mine had cancer and you said, oh, I had a friend that had that. They died. You'd be that like, would just be like, no, why it's, the fuck it's, would you tell me yeah, that? It's mean. Like, it's, it, it is mean. Also, I know he's not trying to be mean, but yeah, I, um, I also think that, you know, in those situations when someone clearly like needs something from you, it's also good to ask, like, do you want me to just yeah. be there? Do you want me to give advice? Like, would you rather me just listen? Like, just yes. tell me what you're looking for in this conversation. Cause I can give you any of those things, but I just don't yes. want to give you the wrong thing. Yeah. Comfort or solutions. What do you want? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think 99% of the time people want comfort very rarely. And you know, you just wait for somebody to say, I literally say, what do you think I should do? How do you, but if somebody doesn't say that, I literally listening to somebody going through something really hard and being like, that sounds really hard. I'm really sorry. You're going through that is extremely validating. Like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It goes, it goes a lot further. 
I think sometimes also maybe Alexander, well, whatever, I, I is not a real person, but I do think sometimes people feel like they have to talk a lot to show yes. that they are empathetic. And it's like, actually, empathy takes very little physically, you know, like really just lending an ear can be all the empathy people need. Yeah. I also think that another reason that people get really obsessed with advice and solutions is because I think a lot of people are uncomfortable when someone they care about is upset and sad. And it's like, it's hard for them to sit with it. They want to, I love you, Jamie. I don't want to see you sad here. Let me fix it. Let me solve it. And it's like, even though that comes from a loving place, always, yeah, sure. You do need to let people have their feelings. You can't fix and solve things. People just need to slowly pass through them. My mom is so uncomfortable when I'm upset. Mm, like she literally has to tell me what to do. And, but Rose, you know, you actually just told me the other day that you were like, she has to like prove that I'm actually happy. It's like really, really weird. I literally said to her once, like recently, like, I'll tell you about this thing, but I really don't want any advice or any solutions. And she literally could not do it. Yeah. Like not capable, you know? Right. My mom's that way too. I, yeah, I, I it's sort of codependent thing. Yeah. Yeah. They will it's just it's enmeshed. It's also like, it's just so hard for them to see you upset. Like you're a yes. extension of them. So that's the codependent part. It's like, yeah. I cannot tolerate this. It makes me triggered to see you like this. Like, right. I also think that the girls in this scene are um, showing their love for Samantha by sort of not being able to get too emotional about it and being like, yeah, she's fine. She's going to be fine. I know. I love how they handle that. I think it's so smart. Yeah. Really loving. Yeah. I was going to say that also makes me wonder back to the the reboot territory, given the control of it all. um, One would hope that the the in-story reason is uh, for her not returning for the reboots and it's not that she's dead. Um, obviously this scene like opens up the possibility of exploring that. Be- I could but- see them opening on a funeral. Yeah. I could see yeah. that. You know I what? See them. It's really, it's really interesting what you had said about the first conversation, Jamie, about how like, it is the tone of the show that it's, it's a comedy first and foremost. I think it's a comedy before it's a drama. And that's the tone of the show. They do like to keep things light, but I, I agree with you completely that if the, this show is created in 2021 for HBO, that there would be a little more, they would exploit the drama of her being super ill and going a little harder and darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I could, oh my God, now I'm like really thinking about it. I'm like, I could totally see them opening at a funeral and then like something funny happens and they're like, Samantha would have loved this. Yes, yes, I think you're right too. It's going to be really fun to guess how this show starts. We should almost like do an episode of like all of our theories, maybe like before it starts, like all of our theories, all the gossip, like just kind of like, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I would love that. Um, Okay. So getting back into it, back at Charlotte and Harry's, she gets ready for another run while he looks at adoption websites. Charlotte isn't sure that's what she wants, but she's open to options. In the park, Charlotte meets up with Dandy Rich again, the loose dog from earlier. Charlotte brought the dog a treat, and she and Trudy, Dandy's owner, sit and talk, and Trudy basically starts talking about how this dog was unwanted, and Charlotte bursts into tears because she feels like she's unwanted due to all of her fertility troubles, and it's just really overwhelming. But Dandy is a big help. 
I love that the writers give her a dog that like too. had a weak leg and so couldn't be a show dog yep. and really mirroring Charlotte's feelings yeah, of life. It is Charlotte in a dog. Yeah. Which is just like so lovely. Yeah. Um, Carrie and Samantha meet for some wig shopping before Smith's movie premiere, which does not go great. I love this scene. It's so funny. The sales guy keeps bringing her bad wig after bad wig. It's so, it's such a funny thing to watch. Cause it's like that feeling when you tell someone that what you're looking for and they just don't, they miss the mark. Yeah. It's that's so not funny. your taste at all. Oh, yeah. They just kept giving her these really grumpy wigs. And so she and Carrie give up. Samantha finally opens up about her emotions afterwards and says she's scared of her cancer getting worse and she's tired of losing her hair. She's seriously considering shaving it. And Samantha does shave it back at home. But just as she's getting going, Smith walks in. Samantha doesn't want him to see her while she's so vulnerable, but he doesn't want to leave her alone. To prove it, he grabs her trimmer and he starts shaving his own head. Over in Brooklyn, Steve and Miranda take their real estate tour. I was extremely moved in this scene. I actually Me cried at the scene. This scene is one for the books. Yeah. Yeah. I just like. She goes, oh, God, I'm married. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It just kind of feels like it's like television writing, I think, is a craft before it's an art. But then sometimes there's glimmers of like, oh, this is an art, um, in my opinion. Uh, and this felt like an artful scene to me because you're literally watching someone growing. And as someone in my late thirties, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think of myself like this. This isn't how I am, but wait a minute. I'm not just living for me anymore. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm in a family. And I just found it so moving. Um, so at first Miranda's down on the place, but Steve speaks up. They're a family now and they need enough space for everyone in their family. And Miranda realizes he's right. She puts her foot down with the seller on a few things, but that's basically it. She's moving to Brooklyn. And that's why I love season six, because it's like these characters are fucking growing up and we're watching it happen before our eyes. Yeah. And this one, it's like Miranda's grown so much. She went from like kind of not liking men to being in this like really amazing, healthy relationship. And she has a child and, you know, she's kind of like the most suburban now of them, even though Brooklyn is not a suburb. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting to watch. Anyway, Smith and Samantha head to his movie premiere, which goes great. He's clean shaven and she found the perfect wig. It's long and it's neon pink. At Charlotte's the next day, she gets quite the package. Trudy is giving Charlotte the dog, Princess Dandy. Harry doesn't love the name, so they swap it for something more them. Elizabeth Taylor. Back with Carrie, she tries to get some sleep, but it turns out Alexander was right. This was so horrifying to watch. <laughs> like, what a nightmare. The mouse from her kitchen wasn't alone. Carrie bolts awake when another mouse crawls into her hair. I would disgusting. never sleep again. It's disgusting. I would never sleep again. So oh, I Alexander can't even talk about it. Oh, it's so awful. 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 <laughs> awful. So Alexander comes over to help deal with it and they talk. I didn't think I would hear from you. I was upset. No, you know, I, I need you to not talk so that I can say this without you confusing me. Samantha is my friend. She's my family. 
my insides. She will be fine because she has to be fine. That's how important she is to me. So for you to say that she may not be just, it feels very hurtful and really unnecessary. Let me explain. Uh, mm. My friend who died. Oh my she... God. Wait, wait. <laughs> when she died, <laughs> I was surprised. The amount of pain. I didn't want you to be surprised like I was. Well, could have just said that. We are different. Yes, we are. I need my relationship with a little bit of milk. I love that. It's clear who is the writer mm -hmm. here, huh? Mm -hmm. Your friend will be fine. I love that he acknowledges fine. that. Thank you. But he says that she's a writer. It's, it's such and a I'm writer. I'm sorry about Sophie. Thank you. That's an amazing scene to me because Fuck. we're all like, yes, in rom-coms, everything is about the lead up to a relationship. but. What about being in a relationship? Absolutely. I, I think I sent something to Jamie. Yeah, I watched it. I was like, wait, I know that subject matter. And I listened to it. Yeah. And this uh, podcast with. Um, On being is what it's called. It was, was it Elaine Baton? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. And he was talking about how everything we know about romance is just the getting up. together and nothing about the movie being ends together. when they kiss for the first time. Yeah, exactly. Or they get married. and. And the real work is like being in the relationship. That's actually just the beginning. They only take you to the beginning. And so I think this is so beautiful and honestly so romantic because the real romance in a relationship, in my opinion, is like learning how to talk to each other, learning how to be there for each other. And like, I thought it was really beautiful because there's so much miscommunication in any relationship, friendship, professional relationships, you know, romantic relationships. It's like, 90% of the time, we're totally misinterpreting what somebody means. We're like inventing these stories in our heads. And it's only when you have a real calm, non-defensive conversation that it's like, oh, when he said that to me, he was being loving. Oh, and I think just being able to have those conversations are so illuminating and healthy and like really just enable you to be in a good relationship. And I'm making such a big deal about it because I have, you know, I've dated so many guys where you can't even have those conversations. There's walls up and there's defenses and no one says how, how they feel. Right. So I just think these conversations are like worth more than gold, you know? Well, it's also exciting to watch someone like Alexander who kills mice with the frying pan and <laughs> says my friend who died upwards of 16 million times. Um, it's nice to see that he's able to go there and have a conversation like that, like of all the men on the show, like he he's kind of a big in that way. I feel like he's like Russian big a little bit. Totally. Um, yes. And so it's 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 fun when a character like that can relate to Carrie and open up to Carrie and be vulnerable. It's it's really satisfying to watch. I agree. The thing about Russian big, though, I definitely think that, too. I used to think that. But now that I'm realizing it, He's 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 very similar to Big and his masculinity and his kind of quietness. But the most important difference to me is I don't think he's bullshitting her. He's no, like, he's I not love a, you. That's, this is what makes him not big is this moment to me. Yeah. And also bit. he's like, 
I don't want kids, but I'm down to commit to you. It's like big didn't want to commit at all. Alexander, I think is like, I'm in my fifties, maybe sixties. I love you. I think you're great, but I don't want to have a kid. But other than that, he's not really jerking her around, you know? No, no, he's pretty communicative actually. He can be a little rough around the edges, but he does say where he's at. I agree. Um, okay, well, the episode closes with the core four catching up for one last round of Manhattans in Manhattan. While Miranda's only moving to Brooklyn, things are definitely changing. And this brings us to the question of the episode. My conversation with Miranda brought me back to reality, or more specifically, the people who want us to live in it. The world tells us to get real. But what happens when living in reality means living in pain, fear, or Brooklyn? If a defense mechanism can get us through the difficult times, how bad can it be? Maybe the reality is we need denial. Denial, friend or foe? It's a great question. I think like all of the questions that she poses, it's extremely contextual. And I think in this context, denying that your friend is really ill to keep a good face for yourself and for them. I don't think that's bad. I think that's fine. Um, but of course, like denial, if you're an alcoholic or denial, if you're an abusive relationship, it's in this context, I think it's okay. I also think that my therapist said something really interesting to me where she was like, I was talking about how I was like, I just felt like emotionally, I was like, am I like, am I in the right place given a certain situation? And she was like, yeah, like we do this thing where where we kind of think we should be feeling a certain way about things. And it's like, yeah, but maybe you're just not there yet. And like, I feel that way with this, with Samantha, it's like right now, denial is how they're processing it. And like, they do seem pretty self-aware. You know, it's not like they're like in denial of their denial. They seem to really know that they're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. So in that case, I'm like, yeah, if this is what like keeps your chin up while your friend is going through this really horrible thing. uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's one way to process it. And it's a valid way to process it. I don't think you have to be so hyper real like just to I don't know, like what what is the benefit there? It's not like you don't know that people die from cancer like. You know what I mean? Also, yeah, I totally agree. I also feel like she has really early stage cancer that they're instantly treating. So even though they're all really raw and of course it's scary, they're not in denial in the sense of she's not in the ICU with stage four cancer. It's not like she has pancreatic cancer. She's going to movie premieres. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a curable, treatable cancer that they caught very early. So it's like, yes. So they're, I guess they're having. It's almost like denial. I almost feel like it's not even about denial because because the reality of what Samantha's struggling with is like 99% not fatal. So right. it's not denial as so much as it feels like maybe it's not denial of death, but I think it's I think it's just this idea of like this really heavy thing is happening, but we're kind of like being chipper and like moving through, which could hurt some people's feelings. Like, are you not taking me seriously? And then for other people could make them feel solace. Like, okay, well my friends are being strong and seem positive. So now I can, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, this brings us to I'm horny for our final segment. Sex in the city is obviously a very horny show. So we end each episode by sharing what we are currently horny for Rose. What are you horny for right now? Well, 
I always have a lot of horny fours in quarantine because I spend so much time reading and consuming media. So I'm going to recommend two books that I read both in a week, like really quickly. I mean, yeah, you know, you're not going to bars, you're not going to restaurants, whatever. It's also a testament to how great these books are. So one Mm -hmm. of them is called Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Mm -hmm. It won the National Book Award, and he writes for Westworld among being a novelist. It is an unbelievable, surreal, meta, satirical, emotional book about what it means to be Asian in America. Mm. And it takes place in this really surreal world of Chinatown. And the main character is called Generic Asian Man One. And his dad is old Asian woman and his his man and his mom is old Asian woman. And the most you can aspire to is like Kung Fu Kid. And it's really... Wow. And it's emotional. It's emotional and mm. beautiful and funny. It's, it's, it's an absolute must read. Mm. Um, so that's a massive, massive recommendation. And then another book I may have even liked more. Mm. I loved that one. And I think I love this one even more. It's called milk fed by Melissa Broder. Mm. And it is a biting hysterical sat no it's not a satire it's a it's a really sardonic funny love story um between an anorexic woman and a chubby woman who works at the yogurt store and it's about it's about a super perfectionistic jewish woman who is codependent with her mom who gives her a massive eating disorder complex Mm. and it's really sexy. There's like incredibly sexy sex scenes. And it's just like really dealing with body dysmorphia, anorexia, perfectionism, mm-hmm. and love in like a very funny and, and really raw way. Like, even though this is a novel, clearly this author has dealt with all of this stuff. Yeah. And then I looked her up the second I finished reading, I was like, obviously this is being made into a show. And it is, it's like, it's, such amazing writing. So I can't wait to get her other book, The Pisces. She lives in LA. She's just like an incredible voice. Like her writing is just, it reminds me of like Sheila Hetty and Lena Dunham and all that like excellent self-confessional writing. Cool. Oh, I can't wait to read that. I need to know. Yeah, Jamie, you'll gobble it up in a weekend. I can't wait. Okay. Jamie, what are you horny for? Um, I am horny for, I've read a bunch of, I just, I feel like all I do is read articles. Um, but I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, well, it's weird to say I'm horny for it, but I did watch the Woody Allen documentary on HBO. I watched the first wow. episode. It is How was it? fucking unreal. Jesus. It is like, I mean, it is, it really, really stuck with me. I went to bed thinking about it. I woke wow. up thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, I was like shook. So yeah, I guess I recommend it. I mean, it's, it's super hard to interesting. Watch. It's yeah, it's pretty hard to watch, but it's also so well done. You know, I just think there are so many documentaries that like I felt this way about the Nexium documentary. I felt like that was like nine parts and it could have been told in two parts. And <laughs> it should have been like a 20 minute short. Yeah, film. it just you can tell like the reason they do that is because they get more money, because if you sell more episodes, you get more money. So like they it's a you know, that's why they do that. That's why documentaries get like drawn out when you're like the narrative does not require nine episodes um but in this case i yeah i'm I'm just curious i'm curious like how long it's going to be on the air because the first episode is so dense with information that i'm like where could it go from here like i feel like i know everything 
So yeah, but apparently there's more. So, you know what? It's interesting that you say that Jamie, because I read it was either a New York times or New York magazine review of the entire series. Cause like the journalists get to watch everything ahead of time. Right. Right. And I have to say, I mean, I think I was a Woody Allen apologist for a long time and not apologist. Like I said, he didn't do it, but I kind of just like ignored it sure. and like didn't cancel him in my own head. Yeah. For a long time. That's how I was. Me too. I mean, even my mom and grandma were like, well, if he was a pedophile, like there would be like all kinds of people sure. don't just like molest one person. And, right. and I'm not trying to throw my mom and grandma under the bus. They are the women that I love the most and they're dealing with their own, you know, these things are hard to deal with. Um, and when I read this m- review, either in the New York times and New York magazine, it really, um, got me because I hate to say it, but like Woody Allen is the most inspirational writer and filmmaker of my entire life in terms of me being like, this is what I want to do. This is the exact kind of art I want to make. Like Annie Hall, Manhattan, you know, those were massive, massive influences on my career and my creative life. And I know that people deal with this all the time, but for me, like Louis CK, Aziz, like those things didn't really, those guys weren't big for me. So when I read this review of it, that to me, without even seeing the documentary really made me think, oh, this guy molested his daughter and never got any consequences. It was really sad. I, I mean, so I don't mean to make sad. it about myself, but I was really sad. I was like, God, this, I really loved this artist. And now I, I know. It's just, it's just like heavy. It's, it's hard. It's like, you have to grieve it a little bit. Like the disappointment of your favorite artist being like, like real life monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how they sort of balance showing his art, but not sort of praising it too much because that's not the point of the documentary, but also it kind of is because he was so influential and that's why it's like an even bigger fall from grace it's it's very complicated but anyways it is do you think jamie that you'll do you think you'll ever be able to watch a film of his and enjoy it again no really Um, i don't think uh i don't know i don't i don't think i would i just don't think i i probably would think if i put it on if i watched it i would be enjoying it but i don't think i would put it on at this point i just yeah i don't know i mean this is something that i think is really complicated and i I don't have the answer for myself yet because this is a really personal thing, but the whole like separating the art from the artist thing, you know, it's a really weird philosophical question. I think I need to do more reading about it because it's like Hitler was a painter. What if we all like liked his paintings? But at the same time, it's really tough to say because it's like a lot of people that make great art, like maybe they're not as monstrous as molesting their own kids, but like are truly bad people. Yeah, Yeah, sure that we don't even know about. And so I do think it's a, it's a, it's something I need to read more about to discover how I feel about it. Yes. I think that's true. And I think I'm, that is one benefit of watching the documentaries. I think it, it gets you sort of thinking in those terms because it's, yeah, it's not going to go away. You're always going to end up being a fan of someone who is fucking horrible yeah. at some point. So people are complicated. Good, bad people can make great art and good yeah. people can make bad art. It doesn't. And just, that's just it's just one of those topics that's never going to go away. Yes. Um, agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that is the end of our episode. We love you. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help But Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod. And follow my co-host, Rose Cerno, on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host, Jamie, at ReallyJamieLee on Instagram and at TheJamieLee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you're nasty, it helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Uh-huh.